Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is the Frey Podcast, brought to you by thefrey.com, a place for women who want more from life. Today's podcast is a conversation with Monique Harding, who is also known as the Relatable Therapist over on Instagram. And Monique and I are discussing all of the trials and tribulations of blending a family. I really enjoyed speaking with Monique about this topic. And I think regardless of whether or not you are in the situation where you are looking to blend a family, like it might just be so far removed from your reality, there are so many useful pieces of advice that Monique shares in this conversation that I really do think it's a worthwhile listen. As I said, even if it's not your reality, we talk about why it's tricky to blend a family, how long it can take to actually successfully blend a family, how to really nurture and foster the relationship that you have with your own children whilst this is happening, and how to get the support that you may very well need. Now, I have put all of Monique's details in our show notes, so if you want to get in touch with her, you can easily find that information. I hope you enjoy this conversation. As always, it would mean the world to me if you take a screenshot right now, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and tag me on Instagram at Kylie Camps or at The Fray, and then we can share it on our stories as well. And trust me, when I say it means the world, I genuinely get a real kick out of seeing what you're up to while you're listening to the podcast because I'm such a huge, huge podcast fan myself. I forever have one playing when I'm doing the laundry or exercising or just pottering around the house. So please do pop a story up, tag us. And yeah, I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Monique Harding. Just for a bit of context before we dive into this chat, Monique is a clinical mental health social worker and family therapist that specializes in all things relationships, which is why I reached out to her for this conversation in particular, because she uses a family systems lens to support people in developing practical and sustainable tools with a strong focus on creating more conscious awareness breaking intergenerational patterns, and promoting mental and relational well-being. Monique offers a range of group therapy experiences and courses online under the Relatable Therapist banner, alongside her physical bricks and mortar psychology practice, which is located on the Gold Coast. If you're curious to find out more about Monique, you can absolutely jump over to makepeacewithyourpast.com.au, but all of the details are in the show notes. Let's get into it. Monique, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have this conversation with me. Thanks so much, Kylie, for having me. Now, let's just dive straight into it. And I am going to raise my hand and say to you, my therapist told me 
Kylie Camps, if you have a choice between dating a man with kids versus dating a man without kids, date the man without. And I was kind of shocked when she said this. And then she said, I don't know if you've ever looked at the statistics of blending a family when two Mm. people are coming together that both have existing children. But she said it's not easy. Like it is not a simple road to take for many people. Mm -hmm. So what makes it so hard? How long do you think it takes? Just give me like a ballpark figure of how long do you think after the couple establishes and you've met the kids, you'd start to feel like you're flowing as a family unit? Uh, Okay, hang on. Let me clarify. Do you mean when would you start to blend as in start doing family things together or live together? Or do you mean start feeling like you've got this down pat? Start feeling like you like yeah like you're you're a family unit like there's cohesiveness like it's not so clunky the conflict isn't as much we're starting to feel a bit more natural in our our unit only because I've done a bit of reading on this I'm yeah. gonna guess five years yeah five years you've done your reading that's a long time that's huge yes yeah. yeah. massive and. It, it is so different to the nuclear family template. I, I still remember this so clearly when I was doing um, my marriage and, and family therapy masters. And one of my supervisors at the time said to me, the ble- if you're trying to use a nuclear family template and how you work things in a nuclear family with your blended family template, it's almost like you using a Sydney Refidex to get around Brisbane. That's how different. (laughs) And that's just always resonated to me. I'm like, Sydney, Brisbane, Sydney, Brisbane, you wouldn't do that. Um, So, and I guess what makes them so unique and why that five-year statistic exists is because blended families are really unique in some really specific ways. They're unique in structure. They're unique in composition, so how they're actually composed, but also in the way that they've developed, right? Because the way that they've come together brings with it a whole heap of different themes like grief and loss, like transitions, like abandonment, change, different Uh, attachment styles. Sometimes Um, another parent outside of the relationship. Exactly. So we've got such a different structure to what you would typically have within the nuclear unit. And even if you have grown up in that kind of dynamic yourself, sometimes I'll work with people then that still don't feel quite equipped because they've grown up as in a child's perspective of that, not within the, the parenting role. That is such a brilliant way to explain it, that you are using a map for a totally different state. And it's so true because I think often when people are single with kids, they can't, and this was me, I'll just say it. I thought when I went through my divorce, having kids myself, oh, I would want to partner up with someone who has kids because they're going to get it. They're going to understand it. But then Mm. the more I kind of sat with it and realized, oh my gosh, there are so many different components to that, Mm -hmm. it becomes clear like, oh, this is not an easy thing to do regardless of if the other person's a parent or not. There are so many moving parts. Absolutely. Yeah. And I look, 
I don't, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily easy even for you to be bringing in somebody without children no, um, of course <laughs> into that role within your family. But there's certain complexities, I think, within that, which a blended family dynamic where we have a parent that's outside of the, the household that, um, and, you know, children coming in from the, the other biological parent. I guess that's the, the definition just to, to clarify. But there's unique challenges that will present themselves within that dynamic that won't occur if say who you know whoever you choose to partner up with um, doesn't have children or bring children into that environment so five years to kind of feel as though you've got a grip on everything and everything is running well like to have the operation down pat Mm -hmm. but if we rewind to sort of the early days of a relationship when two people have children what sort of things determine the pace that you move at Well, I think to a large degree, it's very personalized, right? Um, It has a lot to do with, well, at just a core level around logistics, like that will often play a big role. Yeah, your custody. Like if you've got full-time custody, you're probably going to introduce them sooner than you would if you didn't. Exactly. And living arrangements, finances often play a a big part in decision making. Look, ideally, in an ideal perfect world, it would be more about, well, how have we transitioned the kids gradually to this new um, structure, Um, as well as the parents as well. Like ideally, in solid Uh, couple relationships we have a decent amount of time forming that couple bond Um, and when we blend too quickly that's often the void that is really deeply felt and can then also be projected as resentment onto the kids in terms of well you've taken the the partner away from me when in fact it's really well we just tried to bring things together far too early And it can also then end up being something that keeps a relationship together longer than it would if you hadn't merged. Like my sister, she's spoken about this on the podcast, so I'm sure she won't mind me sharing it again here, but she was in a relationship where they merged very quickly and he had a child and she's got three kids. And then it was like out of almost obligation to the children, they didn't want to separate. Yeah. Even though they knew that they weren't really good for one another. That's very common. I think negotiating then if you are to separate, like what's then your role with those children moving forward? Is there a role? Do you continue to be in their life? Like there's there's so many complexities, isn't there, that, um, that you know, having merged together if it was too soon are going to present as future challenges later down the track. And you use the term role there, which is something mm-hmm. I want to speak with you about because I wonder in your experience and with all of your knowledge, how do you position a new adult coming into the family dynamic to your children? Do you position them as a mother figure, a father figure, as a friend? How do you kind of make it clear what their role is? We're really lucky that there's been heaps of research on this over the last few decades. Tell me (laughs) it comes down to the age of the child largely. So uh, for if you're introducing that other person when your kids are under five, 
the research shows that they will be more responsive to them playing a parenting role in their life. So you will often hear um, parents that have been introduced at at that age called bonus mum, or maybe they will use the term as as stepmom or stepdad, etc. Then we get to under 10. They're the best way to probably think about it is almost like an aunt or uncle. So there's the potential for a significant attachment there. Um, However, they may be a bit more resistant to parenting, to consistent discipline. Um, And then 11 or over, um, really, it's such an awful term, but they say that you're more of a benign influence. Okay. (laughs) That is an awful term, isn't it? (laughs) Especially in the states, they're so brutal in their terminology. Um, Yeah, you're just a blip on the radar. (laughs) I think about it like you know, you could. It's almost like a a more of a friend role, then, isn't it? But kids eleven and over are very, very perceptive generally, um, and they're going to pick up on if you're trying too hard to be their friend. They know what you're there for, Um, so it almost the more that accepting you can be around that um, really limited influence you are going to have on that young person's life, probably the better for the overall dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. And so you did mention discipline there as well. So I Mm. imagine if you're coming in and you're in that earlier age bracket under five, as you just said, you would it then be more appropriate that you are involved in all, all facets of parenting? I guess that's a a really unique question for each couple. Like I I don't think that there's necessarily like any evidence to suggest that like that's right or that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess the the majority of the research suggests that it's in the consistency. Yeah. So it's not so much like do you need to be involved in all of it? It's just whatever you're involved in, do it consistently. Don't be kind of coming in and out, dipping in and out, you know. They're they're unpredictable. Yeah, exactly. Um, Because that, again, is just going to re-trigger the grief process, whereas what we're trying to create here is just a moving forward of that new structure, moving through. Mm. And how do you communicate to kids or, I mean, do you even communicate to them that you're going to start blending and merging a little bit more? Or is it something that you just allow to let happen naturally? No, don't, no. <laughs> you don't let it happen naturally. <laughs> not, a, not a good idea. I'm going to be really direct. <laughs> Natural disaster, when it says. So, so there should be, you know, there should be a rough plan right? I guess like with anything in life, we should have, we should flirt with the idea of a plan, but let's not marry it. Yeah. I love that. Put that on a shirt. (laughs) It's one of my favorite sayings, but just, you know, you allow it to be a little bit fluid because ideally we want to be responsive to how everybody's coping with this new transition. Like if you can almost think about the process of blending as kind of similar to a grief process you know we jump in and out of stages so you can you can predict that at the very early stages of when you're introducing your children to a new person the typical response will normally be if there's not negative influence from the other parents like talking badly about the new spouse um so in which is a no-no which is a no-no to be yes (laughs) (laughs) that's yeah big cross there um but if there's not too much of that you can typically expect um children under that age of 11 to be 
pretty receptive, quite excited to be meeting a new person if you've been doing that well. Yeah, so that's a really good sign that you're going at a uh, a good pace for your child. Um, if you can see them slowly starting to warm, slowly starting to form a bond. And in terms of those conversations, I guess, about joining families within a home um, or, yes, of course, we need to talk with young people about it, but you need to think about it in terms of, you know, your kids should have a say but not necessarily a vote, yeah? So they should have be able to voice their concerns and for you to take that on, potentially consider that, but ultimately it's you and the new partner's decision to move forward with that or not. But it's really important they have the ability to, you know, share any concerns, fears, worries that they may have. Mm, I love that. And allowing them to articulate what's going on for them, but also going, you know what, we're the parents and we're making the parent decisions. Mm -hmm. And even though it might be something they're not super excited about in some instances, like a routine, I imagine it gives them some comfort knowing that the parents are making the parent decisions and they don't actually get a say in it. Exactly. Yeah. It's just establishing that parental hierarchy that's so important like not elevating your children into that making them feel responsible because they might be behaviorally showing you all the signs that um they want to have influence on that and input and you know you might be getting a lot of defiance and resistance around coming together but you know if you're doing that say around like anywhere from around the year mark is where most of the literature tends to um, find that couples have the most success at, at blending. Uh, if you're doing it around that mark, you kind of you can expect that, oh, well, we can probably work through some of these teething issues. You know, this person's kind of been in my child's life for up to a year at this point. They're a familiar person. I've heard their fears. So now I've got some language that I'm able to talk them through when I'm noticing maybe some stuff coming up behaviorally for them. Yeah, and I imagine just paying attention to how your children are acting is important. And it's like, you know, like when our toddlers are teething, sometimes we forget that it's teething because we have so many other things going on and you're like, why aren't they sleeping? Then all of a sudden you remember they're teething and they have a reason for it. It can be a bit like that with older kids when they're acting out over something else. We see the symptom, we see the behavior that they're not doing so well. And sometimes we can forget to really investigate what the cause is. Yes. So I imagine if there's big changes going on in life, that's something just to be mindful of. Like, is my child all of a sudden acting out of character? Yeah. And I think also remembering like that, you know, that process of grief, that process of blending, we will bounce around those stages. So it might be that you're, you know, in that initial fantasy kind of way of of thinking about it. And then you might get to more of a resistant type of of stage as well. And then they might bounce back to fantasy and then, but you will eventually working through, get to that, you know, magical five-year mark. Um, (laughs) Perhaps you'll get there a bit earlier um, where things are starting to feel a little bit more fluid within your unit. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yeah. 
And I imagine it's important as well to prioritize spending time with your own children when you are blending. Yeah, this is an interesting one because I guess with blended families, the the best way that I can probably explain it is we need to create a balance between distance and closeness. And there's often a lot of resistance when blending from the uh, two partners around, um, well, we're trying to blend together as one when that's actually not the reality. We're two separate families and we're a whole family unit as well. And so if we're balancing the distance and the closeness, say mum is spending time with her kids in a certain way, ideally we want dad doing that in the same way to decrease any kind of like competitiveness, comparison. Um, So it's nice to try and think through, create some rituals around that, but you need to still maintain that identity. You know, that's the biggest thing that young people who you're working with and these kind of dynamics are really affected by is almost this sense of abandonment from their parent or this um, pressure to like their new step-siblings or the spend a lot of time together as a unit. Um, and I think what often mitigates that as well is giving young people choice in that whole family dynamic. So, yes, we have the separate time, but when we come together as a family, um, you know, we have a budget of 20 or $50 and you pick a name out of the hat and on the Sunday of every month, then it's up to you to plan something for the family together. And then we rotate and swap. So then they feel like they have influence over that. They're contributing, they're reestablishing their role too. Yeah, it's, fo- it's fostering participation. Absolutely. Because that's what we have to remember. That's what, what makes blended families so unique is the structure of them goes through a total renovation like for kids if we're if we're blending two sets of children together then what once was the youngest in the family may become the oldest all of a sudden and there's a lot of research around sibling position and the influence that that has on behavior and the way we think and feel and if overnight you're almost being asked to step into a totally different role like that's a huge transition to ask of a young person that has a developing brain totally I interviewed um, Michael Gross for the podcast Ah. and he's written a book on birth order and I found it so fascinating everything he was saying and it all made perfect sense and it's so true what you're saying like how discombobulating for the baby of the family all of a sudden to no longer be the baby Mm. and what does this mean what will that bring up for him or her like it's just all very interesting, which brings me to another point that I had written down here. And it's one that just like in my reading and also in listening to other podcasts, I have heard that it's quite common for the non-biological parent to feel resentment or struggle to bond with their non-biological child. Is that a common thing? Yes. And I guess, I mean, you probably found this in your research as well. A a lot of that is often related to uh, projection of the the non-biological parents' experience of the blended family, right? Because they've chosen the 
their partner in terms of a romantic relationship, but they didn't choose those children. So it's very easy for any feelings of dissatisfaction, of adjustment, of the difficulties of that transition that they're experiencing to almost be projected or blamed on the child. And that's where I think it's even more important for the couple to be having a lot of time together as a unit, like ideally, um, to be connecting around this. How are you experiencing this? What's going on for you? Like really feeling aligned um, so that those feelings are validated and expressed within the parental hierarchy and don't come into that relationship with the child. That makes so much sense. And if someone is experiencing that, like they're if they're in a situation where for whatever reason their stepchild, we'll just use that term stepchild, mm-hmm. is like infuriating them and really bothering them, other than spending time with the partner with their partner alone yeah. and trying to remedy there is actually trying to bond with them a good move like setting aside time and a special activity or is that just a bridge too far it, again it would come back to that age factor right okay. so how old is the child um does also, does it feel authentic to that person or is it something that's almost feeling know. forced? <laughs> yeah. Like, um, yeah, you're right. Like kids know. Yeah, they know if you want to be there, if you don't want to be there. Does does the non-biological parent feel like authentic in the interaction? They're going to pick up on that within like a millisecond almost, like even in the request to go and spend some time together. Um, so sometimes it is what's needed in that example is more a restructure within the family unit sometimes the resent occurs because they're trying to take on too much of the parenting and it's just not working and it that biological parent needs to step in more um so again like think about the age in terms of that 5 10 over 11 mark um check in with how it's feeling within you is this something that you're really wanting to move forward with and you're wanting to actually create real connection and a, a relationship with the child um Or is it something that's better, you know, dealt with within your couple dynamic in processing? Well, is it a difference in values? What's what's triggering this resentment in me? Is it is it the differences in parenting Um, or they're observing, you know, what's happening between if I mean, the most common one I see would be how the children treat their biological parent is very triggering for the non-biological parent because they have the strongest alliance with the parent. Right, right. That makes sense. So say the parent who's come, step parents who's coming in sees or through their eyes sort Mm. of thinks, oh, this child is being disrespectful to mum. They want to then step in, but it could be overstepping. Yeah. And that's, again, a very unique challenge for blended families because you bring certain norms, unspoken rules, belief systems from your family unit into the blended family, as does the non-biological parent of theirs. And it's very rare that those two are going to align. And speaking of alignment, I'm sure, like I, I feel like I can predict what you might say here, but just to reiterate to anyone listening, what about the name that the child decides for the non-biological parent? Should that be up to the child or should that be up to the parent? Oh, absolutely the child. <laughs> yes, okay. I, the, reason I, the reason I asked this is I found myself in a conversation yeah. where it was a blended family and the mum was saying, oh, no, we have said you call this person who was brand new daddy so-and-so. Like oh. this is what you call them. And I was like, 
oh, like that's, it just kind of made me go like, mm. oh, a bit prickly. But then I don't know whether I'm just super sensitive to that stuff. Mm. But yeah, I think I imagine I think it would be nice for the child to develop their own affection. And as long as definitely. everyone's happy with it. And I think that's really important. You actually raise that because now, yeah, as I had a moment to reflect after the shock, um, <laughs> it's it's actually really common. Mm. Like yeah, like, like call him Daddy John or yes, whatever. Yes. Or you get the opposite. Do not call him dad. He's not And then they get embarrassed if they slip up. Yes, absolutely. And it should, again, this should be a really fluid thing. This shouldn't be a topic of conversation that you necessarily need to table with the child. Like what do you want to call X, Y, and Z? Um, For most kids, it will happen really naturally. Like it might after a a couple of years, particularly when, um, say, the other biological parent is perhaps no longer in their life, sometimes you will find those children requesting to call their non-biological parent, you know, dad or mum, um, yeah. which is totally appropriate. And I guess then our role um, or your role as the biological parent would just be helping them think that through. And is it the same, Monique, if someone assumes that you're the parent is it sort of a conversation you might have with the child about, do you want me to correct them? And the reason I bring this up, the reason I bring it up is my boys, their dad has a partner who has three children. And Mm. one of my boys has really struggled spending time as the unit because he gets really sad. And I think he feels, um, he notices more my absence when there's someone else there kind of in that maternal role. And because I imagine she's very, very maternal with the kids and all of that stuff. I have to reassure him often, it's okay. Like, this is great. Like, the more people that like you, the better. And he will say to me, I don't have to call her mum, do I? Mm. Like, not the more people that like you, the more people that care for you, the better. But Mm -hmm. he often needs me to reassure him, it's okay. Like, you don't have to call her mum. And if someone mistakes her as your mum and you want to correct it, you can. And I don't know whether that's like the right thing to tell him or not. Yeah, I think, well, absolutely it's the, the the right thing because we forget that, that it's not just the family dynamic and everything that we're managing there. It's also uh, extended family. It's people in the streets. It's school. Um, and so always that should be within the child's decision-making authority to decide those things. And you just hope then that both biological parents are on the same page because sometimes that's not the case. Um, And I guess as well, like you would hope then for your little one, for example, would be able to have that conversation with dad um, around how he's feeling. That would be ideal world. Um, But if not, then at least he has you there as his champion, you know, giving him that increased confidence, like to be able to step into his voice, into his truth and what he wants in that moment. Yeah, it's so fascinating given that they are identical twins and one just takes it all in his stride, you know, like he's just cool, calm, collected, seems to be. But then my other son is so emotional. He wants to know, you know, are they going to get married? Am I going to have like, he wants to know all of the answers. Mm. And of course I can't give him those, but we have the conversations anyway. But I guess this kind of brings me to my next point, which I wanted to chat with you about when you do have a part like sorry when you when the biological parent is available and still co-parenting how much do you need to communicate with them about what's happening so like how much would be ideal in saying you know what I've met someone we're going to start blending 
just so that there's cohesion around Mm. what's happening for the kids. Does that make sense? Yeah. Look, I think it really, if you're thinking about this in terms of the child's perspective and the best interests of the child, removing the past romantic relationship that existed there and just acknowledging that it's purely co-parenting now, that that other biological parent needs to know when that other person is spending time with their children, right? Like, Otherwise, what's going to happen? Like, how would that ever benefit the child? Like, the kids return home and then all of a sudden, you know, you they start talking about this particular person and then you're shocked and having to adapt in the moment like that is so unideal um but I I guess in my experience I often find that people withhold that whether there's been past you know animosity or they find it very difficult to remove the challenges and the dynamics from that past romantic relationship and almost wipe the slate clean um, and just focusing in on the children but ideally we should know that from pretty early on yeah it's one of the things we kind of covered when we split when we were sitting down and going through the process Mm of you know, working out how are we going to co-parent and all of those things. It's something that we actually wrote down in saying when the other person has a partner, perhaps around the six-month mark could be appropriate to introduce them to the kids, but we yeah. want to let the we want to let the other parent know. And so from my end, when I had a boyfriend, I did that. You know, I just said, this is it. Do you have any questions? Like what are, what's the information that you want to know about this mm. person so that you can feel comfortable as well? Yeah, that's so nice, isn't it? That's modeling that open openness, acknowledging their importance still, even, you know, they're not in, is obviously not in the home with you, but um, like that's a textbook, like child-centered <laughs> parenting, isn't it? Like you're, you're prioritizing the needs of the child, acknowledging that they have this transitional dynamic. Children shouldn't have to compartmentalize their life at one parent's house to the other. Like ideally we want them to have, you know, access to both parents within both homes and be able to talk freely within both homes. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to blending a family, is there anything else that you think is relevant for our listeners to hear? I think the, the I guess if there was just the, the one kind of golden rule there, um, which we, I mean, we kind of touched on it at the start, but um, it's really important to have, to sit down with that other um, non-biological parent and set some expectations around this, yeah? So um, because typically blended families end up in therapy within the first four years um, and the divorce rate within blended families is 10% higher than the divorce rate in other families. So we know that there is added stress within this dynamic. So there's so much power, I think, in just overting what those expectations are. What do we think this is going to look like? Like what kind of rules are we going to set? What kind of structure? Like how how are we going to manage it if we're feeling, you know, certain ways? Some of the topics that we've touched on today that um, may come up as triggers for each of their parent each of the parents within their unique roles. Like unpacking that with the other person if we were to expect this how do you think we may handle it um and it's you might never need that but you know having had the conversation it almost tables it as well we talk about this and we work through it along the way and I think it is important for you to form your own sense of rules as that family unit but 
as a whole, as a blended family, but then also having your own, you know, general guidelines or rules or framework, whatever you want to call it, for your biological family that you're bringing into that unit too so that the other person knows that they need to respect that. Mm. So setting your expectations and your own boundaries. But I also imagine for the person coming in, they should probably set their own as well. Yes. Well, yeah. they, yes. They well, might. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I just think is very interesting because sometimes it can be easy to think, well, I'm the one, you know, maybe if there's only one set of kids in this instance, mm. it's like, well, I'm the one with the kids. I get to call the shots. But really important to say to the per- the other person who's yeah. coming in, what are your boundaries? Yes. So ideally, even if it's one person coming in, we have family one, family two, and then we have family three, which is the blend together. Even if it's just one person without kids. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, that's so helpful. <laughs> that's so helpful. It's like, yes, okay, got it. They're an island, you're an island, and yeah. you're all under this big umbrella. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. This has been so helpful. I have no doubts that a lot of our listeners are going to want to hear more from you. Where should we send them? Head over to my Instagram at relatable.therapist. Amazing. And I will have those details in the show notes. But I also wanted to quickly just mention you have your Make Peace With Your Past course available. There's going to be another one coming up soon, isn't there? Yeah, so that one's launching on the 31st of January. It's a five-week live online group therapy experience for a small group of women. And then we'll have another round open for enrollment in Feb. Amazing. So if people are interested in that, they should just head to your Instagram. Head to my Instagram, the link's in the bio with all of the information there. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time again. Thanks, Kylie. So nice to chat. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 